Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality to discover the ultimate meaning and purpose for which they were created. And for those that are new, I just briefly want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where you will discover a flipbook where I have original writing of myself by the gifting of the Spirit of God. And in that flipbook, you will find there are a lot of printing that is highlighted in red, and that is links to videos that are very profound and amazing, that highly confirm the reality of what I am sharing about here. And what am I sharing about? I'm sharing about what is the meaning and purpose for which you were created as an individual and for which all things exist and consist. And what is that ultimate meaning? It is love. But people have many misconceptions and perceptions of love. I am talking about the one true eternal God who is love, who is the very source of love and of reality and of all that exists. A love that is so pure that it always chooses freely the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. You see, any lesser choice, obviously, would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is so pure that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to such love. This is the defensive aspect of the being of God's love, which is also known as the holiness of God, or the holiness of his love, if you will. And the other aspect of this love, which is so positive, is that from this indestructible foundation of reality that will not tolerate corruption, that is the very opposite of corruption, springs forth his love that is so great that God could love you as an individual being so much that he could condescend to this little speck of a planet in the midst of this vast creation, just like a little grain of sand in the midst of all the grains of sand in the world. And he could humble himself more than you a mere creature and suffer more than you a mere creature on the cross so that you could be forgiven of all your sins if you repent and receive his mercy he will forgive you he will receive those that truly repent and desire him to be the center treasure and meaning of their life the motivation of their life the purpose for which they do all things and live. Yes, it is good news. And this message is for those that have come to know this true eternal God, for whom to know is life eternal. It is a message to the churches throughout the world, especially in this time of crisis in the United States, which is the epicenter of a crisis that is spread around the world and of where I live here in Canada. A time of many serious 
things that are, if you know anything about what is happening, just go to my site at loverealize.com or ultimatemeaning.com. I have links there to the top news sources that are very integral, that tell you the truth. <clears throat> because the news media nowadays has been infiltrated for the last 30 years by the Chinese Communist Party and by global elites that have the same agenda as them and that are seeking deliberately to destroy freedom and liberty around the world and in particular to destroy the United States. And so they have all of these lies, but you will find out how amazing it is and all the lies by looking at what is the truth there. But we're living in such a time, a time of great deception. And I want to share with you today what God has given me to say to the churches. Now, the word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And so I will seek to speak by allowing the Spirit of God to speak through me. This is explained further in Revelations 19.10, when we read, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God out of a pure heart and great reverence in spirit and in truth, out of love for God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances that are coming from the spirit of God so that we are speaking prophetically or, in other words, as the spirit of God would lead as the oracles of God. That is done out of having a heart set and a mindset of worship. So I don't prepare these messages. I don't even know what I'm going to hardly share at all here. Because what I do to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God is to cast lots to get two chapters using two independent random applications on the internet. I do this with great reverence, prayer before God, and earnestness, and then I meditate on those two chapters for only a half an hour, and then I preach, and that's what I'm going to do today after having a, about a half-hour nap after meditating on those chapters. And so before we do that, I also choose a song in a similar way. I sometimes do it by lots. This time I'm going to choose a song that I chose yesterday because I didn't preach yesterday from what I meditated on. But I feel the song and all the effort I went to to find that song so that somehow it will fit in to this message that will come forth spontaneously as I am sharing here with you right now. And so we're going to go to that song, which I don't believe I've ever heard before. It's chosen out of the possibility of 1,257 songs that I have. Uh, 1,080 of them are from a, an amazing hymn book uh, by Living Stream Ministry, which has songs throughout church history, as well as many songs that were very well written by the underground church in China through the work of Watchman Nee, who was martyred in 1972 by the Chinese Communist Party. But the uh, co-workers in many of the churches there wrote amazingly in-depth, beautiful songs. So this is one of them. And so we will join in worshiping God with this song, which in that hymn book is hymn 189. Mm -hmm. 
consist of all thou art the center by thee all things subsist thou art the soul beginning the firstborn from the dead and for the church thy body thou art the glorious head
How wonderful that God loves his creation so much that he condescended and suffered, as I mentioned already, more than us mere creatures, humbled himself more than us mere creatures. He always was in the first of creation, the firstborn, because he was the expression of God the Father, the full expression of the Father in bringing forth creation. And for God to truly be almighty, he must inhabit the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation. As the Father, he is in personage beyond creation, because to rule in that dimension and that ultimate aspect of existence, you must be obviously in conscious personage or intelligence, which is basically what I'm saying, personage. And if you are going to rule in the creation realm, the time and space realm, and all the many dimensions of time and space in the creation realm, you must also, at the same time, simultaneously be in person within the creation realm. And that is who Jesus Christ is. He is fully God the Father expressed into the creation realm. It's just plainly mentioned there in Hebrews 1.3. And as the Holy Spirit, he is in omnipresence, filling all creation and every dimension of existence and time and space and beyond with the Father. And so for there to be an almighty God that is truly God, he must be in those three aspects of existence. And he must also be ultimately trustworthy to contain unlimited life and power and authority without being corrupted thereby or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicative that he is the very source and that can only be in this ultimate perfection of love that I've described, which is first the holiness of God's love, the integral love of God that is so pure that it will not tolerate anything that is contrary to love and yet is so great in that love that he would take judgment upon himself for you, so that you could be reconciled to him. There is no love greater than this love that can be imagined or that could exist. This is the one true God and the only one true God there is. Any other perception of God is an idolatrous, monotheistic perception of God that is not the true eternal God. And I want to share with you now what I received today. I received Proverbs 27 and Jeremiah 15. And I did want further insight, so I got Exodus 15. So in Proverbs 27, there are many different verses there. And some of the verses I chose to read from there are in verse 5, open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The full soul loatheth and honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. And then we go down further 
to verse 20, and it says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. As the fining pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. Or it does say in, in another translation it a little more differently than that. Um, so the man is tested for the praise. In other words, can you be praised through the trial? Can you still be seen as worthy of praise through the trial? And are you able to still praise God through this refining that you're going through to be made pure before God? Just like gold is refined and the dross comes to the surface. Yes, a lot of negative things come out of us when we're under pressure we all experience that as believers. But when that dross comes to the surface, are we going to humble ourselves before God and ask him for forgiveness and cleansing and be purified through the trial? Remember, there's a great multitude in the book of Revelation that says, these are they that have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And I know from those that have entered to heaven, because I'm about to publish a book in Amazon in the next probably, I don't know, sometime this week. It might take at a maximum five days, I would estimate, um, to publish it maybe a lot earlier on Life After Death, titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. That I can tell you that the believers, when they see one another in heaven, they are wearing robes or they're clothed with a light that is like a robe that is very beautiful, although they can change to having many different types of clothing too. But they normally have these robes of light. And when you look at those robes of light, you can see the testimony of what of all the positive things that God has wrought into their lives through trials that has made them to shine with this beautiful light. And there's varying degrees of brightness of this light depending on how much they have been purified and brought into conformity to the image of God through those trials. And you read the whole, of course, the intelligence that they have in this ultra-real permanent realm, which is far more real than the physical realm. And they do f really experience everything very physical still too, by the way, in heaven. Like they can feel the ground on the underneath their feet when they're running and everything else and the juice running down their cheek when they eat from the fruit. It's very real and yet they can, you know, instantly be somewhere or decide to float in the air or walk or run or whatever. But nevertheless, they're... They can, in their intelligence, it's far, far, I mean, probably, it's thousand, it probably is easily a thousand times greater. They can, in an instant, know and see everything of the other person's life and every detail of their life and read it if the other person gives them the password to read their life because that's the way it works in that realm. They usually will give them the permission to read their life because it's a wonderful testimony. And then there's a beautiful fellowship as they exchange the testimony of their lives. And it's all in looking in the beauty of these garments that are clothed with light, that they can see all of that. And God is in this hour 
calling us as his people to be those that buy of him the gold that is tried in the fire. In other words, we say to the Lord, Lord, I choose to let you put me through trials to be the potter over this life of clay. Instead of saying, no, I want my way. No, those that are truly the children of God never say, no, I want my way. They love God. They see how great his mercy and love is to them, that he could love them so much that he gave his only begotten son on the cross, whose life was poured out out of his love in his body suffering so terribly and broken for you and his blood shed for you so that you could be reconciled to God. And there's a love relationship there. So God is calling his people to buy of him the gold that is tried in the fire. And we read in Jeremiah 16 that I received. I want to go to that chapter now because that was the next chapter I received. Some very difficult things. And I have not put down all the verses here. But in this chapter, God tells Jeremiah he can't have a wife or children because his anger is so great up against Israel for the sins that they have stubbornly committed against him over and over. And so we read here in verse 10, and it shall come to pass when thou shalt show this people all these words, and they shall say unto thee, Wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then shalt thou say unto them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, saith Yahweh, and have walked after other gods, and have served them, and have worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. And ye have done worse than your fathers. For behold, ye walk every one after the imagination of his evil heart, that they may not hearken unto me. And then, <clears throat> I want to turn also a bit more, I think, to that chapter in Jeremiah 16 to just point out some other things. It says here in verse 5, For thus saith the Lord, Enter not into the house of mourning, neither go to lament or bemoan them, for I have taken away my peace from this people, saith the Lord, even loving kindness and mercies. Why did God take away his loving kindness and mercies? He wanted to show them his loving kindness and his mercies. But they made choices to reject his love that is so jealous. You know, in a previous message recently, it was Zephaniah, the book of Zephaniah, and there it talks about the Lord's jealous, jealousy that would devour the whole wor world with judgment in the last days. It would devour all the things that people are using in their lives as idols, the gods of materialism, whatever it is, the gods of amusement that are so rampant today in the church where people spend hours and hours watching sports instead of seeking God in prayer. I'm not saying it's wrong or trying to put you under bondage if you have a 
weakness that way to want to spend a lot of time watching amusements. God is merciful, but he's also calling us as his people. He's drawing us with the cords of his love out of those things that are taking away our love for him, that are robbing us. And woe unto the leadership that condones these things that rob the people of God in this hour of entering into a deep union and fellowship. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a boring life if you don't go and watch sports and all these things. It means God's going to replace it with something that's far more entertaining. Yes, even satisfying that aspect of your being that loves to be entertained. Yes, with fellowship with God or with creative things that he will show you that you can do that will turn people to righteousness that are creative, that are constructive, not destructive, having no meaning. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. God is calling us to come into a deep union with him. And he's warning because it is a time of judgment that is coming upon the earth towards those that have chosen to reject this love that went all the way to the cross on Calvary for you, loved you as an individual so much. And I'm tempted to go on and describe different things about the afterlife in heaven, how the, the true believers, such as Dean Braxton, you can look him up on the internet, B-R-A-X-T-O-N, near-death experiences, N-D-E's, on YouTube. When he was standing before Jesus Christ, he experienced such a love beyond anything you can experience in this present, very inferior third dimension. The love was so intense and strong that all he could be was on his face before Christ. The love that was coming from Christ was coming from his face, was coming from his whole body. And it was like the feet of Christ were loving him that were like polished brass, so bright and glorious. Because that's where he first started to look and then it went all the way up. But it was like he was the apple of God's eye. Like if it, it was like he was the only one that mattered in the universe. That was the love he was experiencing. It was so great that he knew that if it was only him that was created, Christ would have died for him. He knew that that was how great the love is that God was showing to him there. Eventually, he looked at the face of Christ too. And I won't go on to describe the, how amazing that was. That's in my book. God is calling us to enter in to the jealousy of God's love and to have that love so great in us that it impels us to be jealous for God and zealous for God. The zeal of thine house has consumed me. Jealous for God enough that we will be willing to speak the truth because faithful, as it, we read today in Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Genuine love does not conform to the fear of being rejected by others, so that our identity is found more than in our relationships with people than our relationship with God. Genuine love always speaks the truth, but in love. 
That is why it says in Ephesians that we are to speak the truth in love, building one another up, and that each member of the body is to function fully. And God is calling us in this hour to be those that find a relationship with God that can only be had out of the genuine fear of God, to return to the genuine fear of God, which is a choice that involves a deep turning from the heart to rightly reciprocate and perceive who God is first in his holiness. And when you realize, and instead of being bitter and focusing on all the suffering that your own life is going through and those around you because of God allowing it and some people become and so easy it is to become tempted and unthankful and say, God, why did you do this? And why did you do that? It's one thing to do it when you're sincerely seeking to trust him through it. But it's another thing when you do it in unthankfulness and bitterness, then you need to really repent. But God wants us to have that perception of him in his holiness, to see that the holiness, the integral love of God that will not tolerate sin is good. That's why it says to worship God in the beauty of holiness and why King David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after, to behold the beauty of the Lord. The beauty of God emanates from the integralness of his love, the purity of his love that is so pure that will not tolerate sin. This is so beautiful. It ensures a place where there's no corruption that will go on forever where we will be in fellowship and union with God and with each other in a realm that as the word of God has said, eye has not seen nor near ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. And he's calling us to his love to let go of all those things that would rob us. So we continue to read here in Jeremiah. Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is Yahweh. That is the most sacred name for God, Yahweh. I know whenever I'm in prayer and I start off in prayer and I talk and I say, Oh, Yahweh, Almighties, because the word that is used in the Old Testament is first Yahweh. In the English, it's Lord. And then the next word is God, Lord God. And God in the original Hebrew is most often Elohim, which means the Almighties, referring to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I say, oh, Yahweh, Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I just get filled with the joy of the Holy Ghost when I say that. I don't know why, but the blessing of God is really on me addressing the Lord that way. I know it. I experience it in prayer. I don't only use those terms in prayer, obviously. I'm not saying there's some special formula. I'm just saying I know the blessing of God. Yes, Yahweh basically means God who is separate and above and beyond creation, who is the I am that I am, the ultimate reality, and the source of reality is love. It is this love that I described that is represented in the negative and positive symbol, the negative symbol representing foundation and cutting off of all corruption, the integral love of God, the integrity of his love, from which springs forth 
the symbol of the cross by the crossing out of what symbolizes an indestructible foundation that cuts off all corruption by God taking judgment upon himself. And that is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet as well. It's the symbol of the cross. It was the symbol of most languages from 1500 BC and back in that area of the world in the Mediterranean. God is wanting to brand the cross of his love on our heart in these last days, the seal of God on our foreheads in these last days, so that he will pass over us as he did to the children of Israel that were under judgment in Ezekiel 9, the ones that mourned and groaned over the terrible things that were happening because of their love for God and their zeal and their love for righteousness. The Lord says, put a seal on their foreheads and I will not allow the judgment to come upon them. God is calling us those that are walking and shining as lights in the midst of a time of great hopelessness and darkness in this world is, is exhorted in Isaiah 60 for the people of the last days where it says gross darkness shall cover the earth. But the glory of the Lord shall arise upon you and it says arise and shine for the glory of God has come upon you. He is calling you to rise and shine in this hour by making him your priority in everything pursuing his love, not allowing yourselves to be drawn into all the entanglements of this world, but to find much time in prayer seeking him, much time sacrificing to put the kingdom of God first. God bless you. I thank you for listening to this message today. I have a book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion that's already up on Amazon. It's been there for some time. Actually, I haven't got about round to promoting it yet, but it's really important because it's a book that is for local assemblies, whether small or great, that shows you everything you can do to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. It gives the best suggestions even for the best times to have meetings. You know, there are many people that they can't just come to a meeting early in the morning. If you have a meeting, for example, at one or two o'clock in the afternoon, then you can have a long meeting and people can really come and be a lot more prepared to meet with God because they're having time in the day to prepare themselves. You know, there's so, and why have two services when you can have one long service and really break through? That's just one of many, of course, a minor suggestion there. But that book has got a lot in it that's important for the new order to come into local assemblies in these last days, which is to allow the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ to fully inhabit your assembly, which means you don't have pre-service prayer meetings. You make your church service a prayer meeting. Everyone comes in there, they get on their faces before God, and they seek God. And that's the service. And out of that comes all the other things spontaneously. Corporate prayer, individual prayer first together, then corporate prayer together. Then out of that, worship. And then out of that, songs of praise. And then prophetic utterances. People are giving spontaneously words, whether exhortation or prophecy or testimony, for some time until you got about 20 people that have shared spontaneously. You don't have to ask for permission at the mic. No, 
You let God move in the body and move in the gifts. And churches are so used to being passive, they're fearful to do it, most people. But you need to facilitate whatever is necessary to get them out of that. And then the ministry can share, having the word confirmed by utterances given spontaneously by the Spirit of God. That is what God is wanting, a new order in the body of Christ in these last days. God bless you and thank you for listening to this message.